You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. Because the future of labor's rights in the United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio. And it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. For the union makes us strong. This is the Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio show. It is Saturday, May 30th, 2020, and my name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, David Story. We are broadcasting live online and on the radio in the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. Today we will be talking to labor journalist Chris Brooks about his latest article in Labor Notes and his career as a Southern labor reporter, as well as his thoughts on the recent protests around the country. The U.S. Senate race in Alabama is heating up and the candidates are slinging mud, but is any of this fighting illustrative of how they will be working for working class Alabamians? UAH announces that, that, that it will bring back the hockey program after a fundraiser successfully pulls together nearly a million dollars to save the program. Mitch McConnell is, eye, is eyeing n- national nursing home immunity legislation based on that pioneered by Andrew Cuomo in New York in the midst of the coronavirus to protect corporate executives from liability from knowingly putting their patients in harm's way. Bipartisanship, contrary to popular belief, is often bad. Protests and uprisings are happening all over the country as citizens are fed up with the unaccountable institution of the police. All this and more on today's... Valley Labor Report. So like I mentioned, uh, we've got Chris Brooks on the line. He is a labor journalist from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and a graduate of the Labor Studies program at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. He currently works as a staff writer at Labor Notes and has bylines at The Intercept, Jacobin Magazine, and many more. He is a member of the National Writers Union, UAW Local 1981. Welcome to, to the program, Chris. We're really excited to have you. Um, and, and so th- thanks for, thanks for giving us your time this morning. I really appreciate it. No, it's an absolute honor to be on the program with y'all. You know, I think programs like the Valley Labor Report are so essential, uh, when we're just inundated with corporate media all the time. So to be on a part of a program that represents the voice of labor, I, you know, I couldn't be any happier. Well, I appreciate you saying that brother. It means a lot. Uh, so I'd like to, to, to start by, you know, just talking about kind of how rare it is for somebody from Eastern Tennessee to be writing about labor issues. Um, I assume your involvement uh, with the Tennessee Education Association brought you into that work. Can you speak a little bit about uh, what you know? What brought you to to where you are now as a as a very prominent labor journalist? Uh, might I add? Well, I, I'm never bashful to tell folks that uh, organizing saved my life, and, and I really mean that. Uh, in 2007, I, you know, I was graduating from the University of Tennessee at Knoxville, and my last semester there, my mom uh, had contracted breast cancer, and um, she had a mastectomy, and while she was in the hospital, she contracted MRSA, which is a penicillin-resistant staph infection, and she was in the surgical intensive care unit for you know several weeks on end. 
Um, I ended up moving home to help take care of her, and she ended up having to file for medical bankruptcy like so many Americans do across the country, even though she had health insurance. You know, it was just the bills. Like, she came out with hundreds of thousands of dollars in bills. Um, and at that time, I was working at CSL Plasma, which I always describe as a literal blood-sucking corporation. It's a place where you go in and, you know, you're like you're a working-class person from the street, and they, they, pay, they take the plasma out of your arm and give you 50 bucks and push you out the door. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, 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 it was a really exploitative, uh, exploitative workplace. Um, you know, about half the people who worked there were part of a federal reentry program living in a halfway house. The company received a grant in order for, um, you know, uh, people who are transitioning back into society from prison to, to work there. And they were all fantastic. But because they were in this really precarious situation, management was really terrible to them. And so um, one year and one day after, you know, my, you know, uh, having worked there, I had my one year review, flying colors. I was a stellar employee. I, you know, I saw a bunch of my, my coworkers getting picked on by management. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I went around and was like, hey, guys, like, I think we need a union in here. Uh, and, you know, I got them all interested in it. it was like, okay, well, I'm going to go home and call some. I went home and called through the phone book, like every union that was in there to try to get a hold of somebody never got a hold of anyone. And when I went back in the next day, I was summarily fired. And, wow. you know, for me, um, I, I think I just became desperate to learn how to organize. Like it, it was out of this real need of just seeing like, you know, the devastation of the 2007 and eight great recession, you know, how medical bankruptcies were, were racking everyone, how the lack of insurance is hitting everyone, how everybody's exploited at work. And I'm just filled with anger. Like, I'm somebody who organizes from a place of rage and anger. And I think that the worst thing in the world is not taking a punch. It's feeling like you can't punch back. It's a feeling of futility. And so, for me, I know that, like, having collective solutions to our problems far as outweighs having an individual impulse to act on that, right? So, I think that's what we're seeing in the streets right now in the, in the you know, in response to the, to the murder of uh, George Floyd, you know, is people that are angry because there aren't collective solutions being proposed. And so from, so I, I really think that, you know, I, I could have gone to jail or something like, you know, I was just so angry at the world, but I, but I learned how to organize instead. Um, you know, and that was community organizing with public housing and section eight housing tenants and, and then, and then labor organizing, which I think is just absolutely crucial and went on to work with the tenancy education association for a number of years and then getting involved with labor notes and other unions all around the country and the world. Um, so, you know, I, I'm a strong believer that organizing is the solution. Yeah, that's really that's fascinating, and that really resonates with me as well. Uh, my journey to to the labor movement began uh, something something like that. As as far as the um, uh, I felt like what I was doing was futile. I, I was involved in intellectual work for um, years in college. I knocked on like thousands of doors for Democrats, made thousands of phone calls, and I. Uh, uh, and, you know, in 2018, 70 seats in Alabama went from Democrat to Republican. And I was like, oh, you know, I haven't made a single person's life better. And it was just this overwhelming sense of futility. And the labor movement has, to me, been so empowering uh, for myself and empowering to to be able to impart that sense of empowerment to other people who who – you know, have always thought that, you know, maybe, maybe the solutions were different politicians or they had to hope that the boss was graceful or something. And, and being able to being able to really impart that sense of of empowerment to other people has been really, really gratifying for me. Um, so uh, we, we both read a lot of your work being a subscriber to several of the publications that you write for, including In These Times and Labor Notes and uh, one of the things that we picked up on in your writing is that that you seem uh, to be a, a very militant unionist that follows ki- uh, kind of along the Chomsky 
um, Chomsky line of, of questioning authority, Noam Chomsky. Um, is that just us reading into that? And, it, or, and if it's true, could you expand on that a little bit? Um, it's something that we feel is a very integral part uh, of being Southern, uh, you know, anti-authoritarian with, with a strong distaste for, you know, those willing to just accept the corporate status quo. Uh, so, so if you could kind of talk about your motivating ideology and, and, and what influences you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, so a lot like, you know, the story that you just told, I think it's so representative of how so many of us feel, right? Like powerless, um, you know, the, to just be beholden to the, the decisions made by other people in our lives, whether it's politicians or, uh, or uh, you know, the, the boss at work. Um, you know, I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. Um, and I think that the labor movement is, is um, most likely to be successful when it's militant and when it's progressive and when it's democratic. And what I mean by democratic is that unions are owned and run by the rank and file themselves, right? Um, you know, I, unfortunately, you know, too many unions over the years have really um, tried to take shortcuts and partner with the boss or tried to play nice with anti-worker and racist politicians like Trump. Um, and, you know, some of them are even more concerned about controlling their own workers or own members um, than with fighting the company. Um, and I know that, that that's part of the story of labor's decline as well. I mean, obviously, the companies, you know, corporate power is, you know, corporations, modern corporation is, is the single greatest threat to the planet and also the single greatest enemy that the public, you know, working people have ever had. It's so powerful. It's really hard to underestimate it um, or overestimate it. Uh, but, you know, part of it also is that labor unions have, have been unwilling to take on those fights. And I think the places where we see them being the most successful is the places where they're willing to put it on the line. You know, so you think about like the last recession that we went through in 2008, so many unions wanted to put their heads down. They wanted to not rock the boat. They were just hoping to slide by and escape notice. And the unions that really, I think, revital are revitalizing the labor movement right now, like the Chicago Teachers Union, you know, they engaged in this massive strike in 2012, you know, at a time when most liberals around the country were blaming, you know, public sector unions and, and teachers unions specifically for the woes in society. The Chicago teachers said, absolutely not. We're fighting on behalf of public schools in you know, the schools that our students deserve. And we're willing to go out on strike to disrupt society, right, to inconvenience everyone in order to draw attention to who the real culprits are, right, which are the rich and the wealthy, which are continuing to steal our labor, continuing to take, you know, um, our, our collective wealth, to, to move it outside of the schools, to gut public services. Um, and, 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 and because they did that, uh, they became a rallying point in this country. And now we're seeing this just continue to snowball to today, you know, with West Virginia teachers going out on strike, with Oklahoma teachers, with Kentucky teachers, Arizona teachers, Los Angeles, you know. Um, so it, it's been really incredible to see that, that, that this theory is true, right, that, like, labor is at its best when it's willing to fight, when it's willing to have big, bold demands that people can rally behind, and when the workers themselves are at the forefront of leading the charge. Yeah. Hey, hey, Chris, this is, uh, this is David. That's, uh, that was one of my questions that I kind of threw in there was, uh, surrounding that, uh, Chomsky quote. And it's something that I've talked with Jacob a lot about and, uh, being the president of my union here in, uh, Decatur, you know, I constantly tell our members that, uh, do not cede your power to the authority it is, uh, you know, the higher international or even at the district level, because at the end of the day, it is the workers that's going to make the difference. And I think that that's kind of, it, it is representative of everything that we're doing in, not just in the union, but in politics in general, to where so many people has gotten so apathetic and they're so, uh, I guess they don't see 
You know, they, they're willing to let somebody else handle their issues for them instead of taking it to the streets, kind of like what we're seeing right now and uh, where it started in Minnesota, but across the board as well. And I think that's so, it's just an integral part of being in organized labor is demanding those concessions ourselves and not relying on, on uh, implied authority figure to come in and do it for you. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, right now we're about to go into the most significant budget crisis the country has ever seen. And the, we know what's going to happen. Employers are going to come to the table. And they're going to be demanding concessions, even if they don't need them. They're going to be emboldened in this moment to try to take more and more from us. And the only way we're going to be able to fight back successfully is if the rank and file gets directly involved in doing the kinds of things that are going to be needed to put leverage on these companies to shut them down, you know. And, you, you know, so it, I, we've really got to get out of this mindset that, you know, I pay dues to a union to provide services to me and to say that, like, dues is how we organize our resources, right? Like, we are an organization of people who come together to fight for ourselves, right? And we have a vision of what that means. And that means redistributing the wealth in this society. You know, we live in a country where... 400 people have $2.96 trillion, more than the bottom 60% of the American public combined in 400 households. That is outrageous. That concentration of wealth and power is, is stupendous and is part of the problems of, you know, of, of why, you know, why so many people are unemployed right now, of why so many people are doing without. And labor should be at the forefront of calling out the moral outrage of that and then providing solutions to fight for and getting people in the act of it. That's exactly right. Uh, we're coming up on a break now. Uh, on the other side of the break, we're going to be talking to you about your uh, talking to Chris about his latest labor notes piece and some of his work in the Volkswagen reporting on the Volkswagen organizing drive in Tennessee. Stay with us. This is the Valley Labor Report. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The attorneys of Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to stand with organized labor and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report. It is what their firm is built on, and they recognize how important unions are to the country. Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are experienced attorneys who can help with your workplace injuries and disability claims. Whether you are a steel worker, coal miner, railroad worker, or machinist, we help all injured workers. Visit www.mtandj.com to find out more. Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs, attorneys for labor, attorneys for you. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. All workers deserve fair wages, affordable health care, and a retirement plan that enables them to retire with dignity. All workers deserve to have a say about the terms and conditions of their employment, not just the bosses. With the machinist unions, over 600,000 members having our back, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama has been serving workers' interests for over 20 years. Our members have the best health insurance in the area with zero deductible plans. We set the bar for pay in the area with over $40 an hour rates, consistently averaging the highest non-college degree jobs in North Alabama with some of the best retirement plans in the industry. We can do the same for you. Together, we remain united, raising our voices to ensure justice on the job and service in the community. The Machinist Union is a true Southern Union founded in Atlanta in 1888. We've been serving members' needs for 132 years. The longevity of our union proves our dedication and loyalty to the working class. The Machinist Union isn't just for machinists. 
We represent workers in government, health care, auto workers, aerospace workers, transportation workers, the defense industry, and woodworking. Our members even build the iconic Harley-Davidson motorcycles. If you're ready to get serious about better benefits and wages, if you want to have a voice in your workplace with over 600,000 members to back you up, call or email us today at 256-286-3704 or organize at iamaw44.org. Here in Huntsville, federal employees are an invaluable part of the nation's defense, offering unmatched expertise in engineering and technology and as stewards of taxpayer dollars. What we ask for in return is to be treated with fairness, dignity, and respect. The American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE, Local 1858, is a union of working people looking out for each other, making sure that we're treated right. To inquire about joining or to learn more, call 256 876-4880. WVNN. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host David Story. On the line we've got labor journalist Chris Brooks. So um, you have a piece titled Follow the Money. Employers are behind the rush to reopen in labor notes. Came out came out last week. It sounds, uh, it feels like it came out about a month ago or two months ago, but um, if you could talk a little bit about that piece, because there, there's some really important reporting that, that went into that, some, some really important information that I think our audience, um, w- it would be beneficial for them to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right about Corona time, everything, you know, <laughs> weeks feel like years at this point. <laughs> Um, so, you know, a few things to, to realize is that working class people are really, you know, um, being squeezed from multiple angles in this current moment. You know, uh, um, uh, the, the rush to reopen the economy is being pushed by employers and um, the employers want to reopen so that way they can kick people off their unemployment benefits, um, you know, and, and, and so that way they can start making profits again. You know, because of the state unemployment system being combined with this um, with, the, with the federal money, it's many people are making on average $15 an hour right now unemployed, which is far more than they often make on the job, especially in the South. Um, and so, of course, you know, state legislators and the, and, the, and the employers in the South don't want people to get used to making that kind of money or thinking that their labor is that valuable. So they really want to get them off uh, off that as quickly as possible. Um, but, but you know, I think also it's like, you know, they want to return to, to business as normal. Like they can work from home. They can stay at home with their cushy lifestyles and have their food delivered. And they don't really care what happens to us. Um, you know, so forcing people back in there and then denying that the virus is real and that it's, that the pandemic is, is, you know, a force that's actually creating mass devastation across the country is something that they're coordinating is this kind of massive disinformation campaign. And so what you're seeing is the usual suspects all coming into play. It's the Tea Party 2.0. You've got Freedom Works and the American Legislative Exchange Council and the State Policy Network, all of these right-wing funded, you know, corporate funded uh, organizations that are, that, are, that are helping to facilitate these actions that are happening in state legislatures and then having those, those actions, you know, which are very small, right, typically only involving maybe 100 people, um, receive national attention on Fox News and other right-wing media. Um, and then trying to get their right-wing legislators that they've worked to get elected, echoing the concerns of this. You know, so it's a real fringe movement. Like polling shows that most people are, even people who are unemployed in this current moment and really have struggling economically, are far more concerned about going back to work. They often work and you know live in multi-generational um, households that so they're in contact with family and friends, and they know that the devastation of this disease is really incredible. Um, 
you know, so so this is, you know, really a right-wing ploy to, to create the image of there being a movement to push people back to work, and there really isn't. But that's not to say that people aren't suffering in this current moment. You know, I mean, one-third of people in the United States currently can't afford their rent. You've probably seen the videos and footage of, you know, people, you know, miles long lined up to get into the food banks to, to access the food pantries. So the suffering out there is really, really real. And, and the response from Congress has just been abysmal. I mean, like, you know, it's great that they added this extra federal, you know, allotment to the unemployment insurance. And it's great that everybody got those $1,200 checks. But really what they did is, you know, they, they ended up giving, you know, about $500 billion to the Treasury, which then turned around. And, and the Federal Reserve is using that to pump $4 trillion into Wall Street, basically assuring companies right now that, you know, uh, investors are going to be made whole. You're not going to lose a penny. And don't worry about not about laying people off. Don't worry about using that money for more stock buybacks and dividends. Um, that's okay, right? So because of this money that they pumped into the Federal Reserve, you probably saw um, uh, this week, uh, Boeing announced that they're laying off 7,000 people. Yeah. It's just absolutely outrageous. So we continue to bail out this company, Boeing, and in response, what do they do? They, they, they harm the communities that they work in. They harm the workers that they're dependent on. Yeah. And, and that's the reality of the situation is Congress is working on behalf of Wall Street and corporate America, not the rest of us. Yeah, and one of, and one of the things that, that, uh, that always gets failed to, to – that always fails to get brought up whenever we talk about this added uh, unemployment insurance that everybody is uh, – you know, a lot of the – a lot of the jealous people are complaining about it, is the fact that all these people that got uh, laid off are now having to pay for private insurance out of their pocket because, mm-hmm. of course, uh, you know, when you get laid off, well, you, you don't have health insurance anymore, and who's going to do without health insurance during these times? So that that mm-hmm. added money is – I would be surprised if you ba- barely break even uh, with, with the cost of uh, going on a private plan, uh, you know, that you pick off, off the health care market. And anybody who's ever had to take Cobra knows yeah, how exactly. absolutely expensive it is. It, I mean, it can, it, it's, it's outrageous. You know, and this is, again, like, like this is a moment where, where labor really has a chance to lead on these issues by talking about Medicare for all, right, to talk about how we need a single-payer health care system in this country that provides universal, true universal health care to everyone. I mean, 27 million people before the pandemic didn't have insurance. That's double during yeah. the pandemic right now. It's absolutely outrageous. There were 50 million people in this country don't have health insurance. Wait, wait, wait a second. Wait a second, Chris. You're telling me that if they like it, they can't keep it? <laughs> that doesn't, yeah. That's not what I was told. I thought Buttigieg and Biden, I, they were telling us that if we liked our plans, we could keep it. Yeah. The talking points always gets construed whenever you bring work in the situation. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, so long as you're working, so right. long as you're providing <laughs> a profit for the government and for your employee, employer, that, yeah, you can keep it. Yeah. Twitter's not going to be fact-checking that, though. Um, could, could you talk to us about you were – if I remember right, you were kind of catapulted onto the national media scene from your coverage – yeah, of the Volkswagen organizing drive, and now maybe maybe I'm I'm not um, maybe you were more prominent, but that's that's when I came in in into contact with your reporting, and uh, you know the Volkswagen organizing drive in Tennessee, uh, it it failed the work uh, the the union was uh, was not voted in, um, but there was so much pushback from local, state, and federal pol- politicians and publications in the area attacking not just the unions but the workers. And uh, Senator Corker threatened to block incentives to expand the plant if workers unionized. I mean, it was crazy the assault that 
that the workers endured there. But um, but ultimately, the drive did not succeed. The workers did not get a union there. So what can organizers learn from that campaign? Um, can you talk to us about that? And we got just, just not to break in here, but we got about one minute. So okay. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So I mean, like I, I call it the anti-union trifecta. It's the it's the concerted uh, power of the state government combined with a hostile employer and these out-of-state corporate front groups, right? So you had the state government. Remember last time in 2019, the governor of Tennessee went into the plant and led his own captive audience meeting. The company forced everybody into room, and the governor, sitting there with the CEO, said, don't vote for the union. Those are the two most powerful yeah. people in, 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 in an everyday person's life, your state mm -hmm. governor and your boss, telling you not to vote for a union. And then, you know, the, the company said all the things that they always do. They say, like, you know, we can close it down. We can move the plant. We, you know, and, and, and the state legislator was like, go for it. Do it. All, because all they are ide so ideologically law. committed. All of which yeah. is against federal law, by the way. Absolutely. But this just goes to show you, right? Like, like corporations violate the law all the time with impunity because we, we don't live in a country with strong, you know, labor law, unfortunately. And then on top of that, you had these big moneyed groups that were swooping in and, and running field campaigns. So, you know, if you're going, if you're trying to organize in the South, you are organizing in the most extreme and politically hostile environment possible. Yep. That's exactly right. Um, folks, you're listening to the Valley Labor Report. On the other side, we're going to bring Chris back for one more segment um, to talk about these protests that are that are happening all around the country uh, and, and what labor's response to it should be. So stay tuned. We're going to be talking to Chris, uh, Chris Brooks some more after the break. This is the Valley Labor Report. Ours are the first generations to feel the effects of climate change and the last to be able to do anything about it. The window to meet this historic challenge is closing. We're already losing our lives and livelihoods. Millions have already been impacted by climate change. We can passively accept this fate or we can join together and take back our power. If we so choose, our best days are ahead. We have a legacy of coming together to face crises that threaten the very ideals of our nation. From the horrors of slavery to the depths of the Great Depression, from the spread of fascism during World War II to the rise of Jim Crow, we have overcome before and we have the power to do it again. Let's end the climate crisis by igniting a transformational new era where the government works for the common good. Go to arminarmforclimate.org. That's arm in arm, the number four, climate.org to learn more. All workers deserve fair wages, affordable health care, and a retirement plan that enables them to retire with dignity. All workers deserve to have a say about the terms and conditions of their employment, not just the bosses. With the machinist unions over 600,000 members having our back, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama has been serving workers' interests for over 20 years. Our members have the best health insurance in the area with zero deductible plans. We set the bar for pay in the area with over $40 an hour rates, consistently averaging the highest non-college degree jobs in North Alabama with some of the best retirement plans in the industry. We can do the same for you. Together, we remain united, raising our voices to ensure justice on the job and service in the community. The Machinist Union is a true Southern Union founded in Atlanta in 1888. We've been serving members' needs for 132 years. The longevity of our union proves our dedication and loyalty to the working class. The Machinist Union isn't just for machinists. We represent workers in government, health care, auto workers, aerospace workers, transportation workers, the defense industry, and woodworking. 
Our members even build the iconic Harley-Davidson motorcycles. If you're ready to get serious about better benefits and wages, if you want to have a voice in your workplace with over 600,000 members to back you up, call or email us today at 256-286-3704 or organize at iamaw44.org. Good morning and welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. Here with my co-host David Story on the line, we've got labor journalist Chris Brooks, and uh, we've been talking about some of his history, how he got into the labor movement, uh, his recent article in Labor Notes, and his reporting for the Volkswagen organizing drive in Tennessee. Um, and obviously, we couldn't we couldn't have a show uh, without talking about the state of the world, the state of the country right now, and. Um, we're going to be talking about it ourselves as well, but I want to. I want to just hand the floor over to Chris. Um, what are your What are your thoughts? What 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 have you been thinking about as all of this has been happening? Um, how do you think the labor movement should respond? Just you know, floor is yours for for what you've been thinking here. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's not shocking at all what we're seeing that's happening right now. You know. Uh, being a black American is a death sentence in this country. Black mortality from COVID-19 is three and a half times higher for black people than it is for white people uh, because of poverty and pollution and lack of health insurance and crowded housing and transportation. And frankly, because so many of our essential workers are people of color. Um, you know, one in every 2,000 black Americans has died from this pandemic. And that should be a startling statistic. Um, for everyone in this country, it should be a wake-up call. Yep. And so, you know, to have all of that and then, you know, a, a police officer openly murdering, a, a, you know, a black person in broad daylight in front of multiple witnesses and expecting to get away with it because they always have, right? Um, There's little wonder why we're seeing uprisings, you know. And you have to remember, like, like you know, people are upset because they're seeing the looting that's happening on television. Well, the thing that I'm most concerned about or I'm most upset about is that, like you said earlier, 400 Americans have $2.96 trillion dollars. And the Treasury and the Federal Reserve are spending trillions more to shore up Wall Street, you know, while so many of us are suffering at this moment. So, you know, so I think what is actually most shocking is that um, is that people think that, you know, the ruling class can continue to use the power of the state and, and state violence, uh, you know, to bust unions and strikes, you know, to disenfranchise voters, you know, uh, to, you know, to shove so many of our population. We have the highest percentage of our population behind prison than any other country in the world, more than Russia, more than China, more than anybody else. And, and to think that that is a system worth protecting, to think that that's a system that isn't worth being burned to the ground. And so I think it's really inspiring to see how labor unions in this moment are stepping up in support of the, of this movement. Um, you know, like I'm in New York City right now, and I can tell you that we, there were a number of unions that came out, the Transit Workers Union, uh, said that they supported the bus drivers who were refusing to transport work, uh, you know, the arrested protesters uh, to the to the prison, uh, to the jail, uh, the, you know, the NYPD was rounding up. We saw the same thing. In Minneapolis, um, you know, the, the uh, transit union local there was openly saying that they weren't going to be allowing their buses to be commandeered by the police, and they were fighting. And, they, and, and the ATU International came out and said, absolutely, mm -hmm. right on. That's what we should be doing. Um, CWA International came out and supported uh, the movement. You know, Sarah Nelson with the flight attendants union has come out and supported it. So I think what we're seeing right now is, um, is a catalyst for a broader working class, multiracial 
movement recognizing that the state is illegitimate, that it continues to work on behalf of corporate power, that it's continuing to exacerbate all the inequalities in our society, and it's trying to shove us back to work without health and safety protections in place to allow so many of us to die and then to allow the police to run rampant. Um, you know, so I, I think that this country is due for a change. Um, I think that what's happening in the streets is inspiring. You know, it's sad that, you know, the things had to get to this point, but it was made necessary because the, the avenues for nonviolent reform have been so closed up and sealed up by corporate power in this country. And we know that best in the South, where, where, where the politicians are the most hostile to labor and working people, they're the most hostile to people of color, and, and, and companies have used the state to, to bash our movements for decades. And yeah, and one of the, and one of the things that we always try to do here, uh, talking talking to workers in the South, is be completely honest with them. And the fact of the matter is, whenever I was doing research on this story, Klobuchar was one of the ones that refused to indict this exact same police officer on several occasions throughout you know throughout the history. I think what I read was he had eighteen or nineteen previous uh, complaints filed against him with several deaths. And uh, the fact that Biden's even in, 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 even considering uh, including Klobuchar, which Biden is no better. Of course, he's a corporate hack as well. But, uh, you know, we just want to be completely honest with workers out there that it isn't right wing. It isn't left wing. It isn't conservative, liberal, Republican or Democrats that's going to make any part of their life better. The fact of the matter is that organizing is going to make it better. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, you only have to tell how, you know, are the police ever on your side in the strike? You know, I, I've seen some militant strikes in this country with private sector employers, and they will permanently replace you as soon as they can. And you know, that, that'll just destroy your family. It'll, it'll, it'll destroy your community. Um, and, you know, and they'll use the police to make it happen. And more often than not, you'll see that the Democrats and the Republicans are united together in condemning strikes. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's been a real shift in just this last election to see so many Democrats um, suddenly, you know, uh, trying to clamor for labor support and showing up to strikes, which I'm grateful for. I'm glad that that's happening. But it's because we have politicians like Bernie Sanders who are actually rooted in the labor community that are fighting for labor's perspective. Um, you know, and we've not had that for a long time. Right, right. And, you know, th th this you made this point earlier, but, uh, you know, there's so much hand-wringing about the looting that's going on. And, and, and this is after decades of politicians looting the working class and put to put money in the pockets of the wealthy. I mean, just from the coronavirus stimulus, we saw a change in tax law that will see the average millionaire be made one point million uh, $1.8 million richer. The average millionaire, that means half of all millionaires will see more increase in their wealth than $1.8 million from just that bill alone. That's only one of the outrages from one of the bills uh, over the last several decades of the neoliberal project. Uh, wage theft. There, uh, People are stolen more from, in, in, in the form of uh, unpaid wages or unpaid overtime than all of property crime combined. You, like, focus, you, wake up, folks. You, you know, like, the target will be fine, okay? If you want to talk about looting, if you want to talk about hurting small businesses, if you want to talk about hurting marginalized communities, Look at the politicians. Look at Target. Look at the people that are that are making workers' lives hard. Don't look at the workers who are expressing their frustration in the only way that that, that they're uh, that they're able to right now. They've tried voting. They've tried protesting peacefully. And like you know, sometimes 
sometimes property destruction, that's how this country was started in the, in the Boston Tea Party. You know, the Tea Party movement, it, it, it takes its name from that, from uh, a uh, protest that centered property destruction. And now the same folks, the Tea Party folks, are saying that property destruction is a completely illegitimate form of protest. They're saying it's violent, which it is not violent. The only violence, the only actually bodily harm that has come that I've seen from all of these protests has been from the cops. The only violence that we've seen in this whole thing has come from the cops, not from the people that are protesting. There's been property damage. There's not been violence. That's an important Amen, decision. brother. Amen. <laughs> that was very well said. You know, I, I think if you really want to understand just the state of America right now, you look at how many, 40, over 40 million people have filed for unemployment insurance in this moment, and the Dow has risen over 30%. That tells you everything you need to know, right? Wall Street is doing just fine. Jeff Bezos is on his way to becoming the world's first trillionaire. Yeah. And, you know, millions of people are actually going to bed hungry every night in this country. And we're wondering why people are angry. We're wondering why people are in the streets. And, you know, your point about wage theft is very well taken. You know, there was actually a report that was put out by a bunch of labor unions in Minneapolis looking at the history of the police department there. And they said over the last 150 years, it has not been incidental that, it, that the racist violence has taken place at the hands of the police. It has been inherent. To the police, and they said that the idea of a police-free future is 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 neither naive nor unrealistic. It's the only pragmatic solution that we can have in this current moment. And who's really being naive is the idea that you can reform the police, the idea that you can somehow rebuild trust and community relations when the entire way that they operate is to hurt working people. Right. We're going to be bringing on Alex Vital oh. actually next week to talk about that. So. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yes. Alex is great. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate your perspective. It was a pleasure, brother. Absolutely. We appreciate pleasure. it. Thank Where you. Where can people find you? Labornotes.org. I'm all over it. Labornotes.org. Just check us out there. All right, folks. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The attorneys of Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to stand with organized labor and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report. It is what their firm is built on, and they recognize how important unions are to the country. Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are experienced attorneys who can help with your workplace injuries and disability claims. Whether you are a steel worker, coal miner, railroad worker, or machinist, we help all injured workers. Visit www.mtandj.com to find out more. Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs, attorneys for labor, attorneys for you. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. Public schools are critical to the success of communities and democracy. Now more than ever, our educators and school support staff are going above and beyond to support our students and families. We at the Alabama Education Association are proud to represent the hardworking employees of our public schools and colleges. Thank you for all of your love and dedication to Alabama students. Please take care and stay safe. Ours are the first generations to feel the effects of climate change and the last to be able to do anything about it. The window to meet this historic challenge is closing. We're already losing our lives and livelihoods. Millions have already been impacted by climate change. We can passively accept this fate or we can join together and take back our power. If we so choose, our best days are ahead. 
We have a legacy of coming together to face crises that threaten the very ideals of our nation. From the horrors of slavery to the depths of the Great Depression, from the spread of fascism during World War II to the rise of Jim Crow, we have overcome before and we have the power to do it again. Let's end the climate crisis by igniting a transformational new era where the government works for the common good. Go to arminarmforclimate.org. That's arm in arm, the number four, climate.org to learn more. The Valley Labor Report is also supported by listeners like you. If you value the work that we are doing, injecting a different perspective into talk radio, and you have the means, consider signing up for a monthly donation on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash the Valley Labor Report to support our work and keep us on the air. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with your co-host, David Story. We had on Chris Brooks. He's a labor journalist. Um, really enjoyed the conversation with him. Uh, we talked in the last segment about some of the protests surrounding George Floyd's murder. And, uh, you know, of course, that's not the only thing. But um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about that um, and, and just kind of back up for a little bit. Because, you know, I've been afforded the opportunity to have a platform in my area. And I, I don't, you know, I don't feel like we could we could have this show and and have a role as a public figure, however minor, of course, extremely minor, without talking about this story, especially given how distorted so much of the coverage has been. Um, and I, I do want to be sober and careful. Uh, so yeah, I've prepared uh, I've prepared a lot about a lot of this, but um, and additionally, we've reached out to and, and we'll be bringing on a guest next week like we mentioned at the end of the last segment, to talk about solutions to these systemic problems with the institution of the police. And yes, they are systemic. The problem is not just one or a few or several bad apples. The institution is, is, is rotten, in my opinion. I'm not saying that every individual police is a bad person, per se, or that they are necessarily immoral but the institution that they're they're a part of is is really it need it uh it's really bad so just to back up uh on may 25th a store owner called 911 alleging that a black man paid for groceries with a fake bill and appeared drunk the police arrived and dragged him out of his car forced him to the ground restrained him and one officer knelt on his neck for eight minutes in 46 seconds. That is a long time. Eight minutes. and that, That's almost as long as one of our segments. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. Think about having the weight of a man on your neck for as long as we talk in between the commercial break. That's insane. Put us just... just Sit down sometime when you're at home in your recliner or on a chair and and set a timer, eight minutes and 46 seconds. That is insane. And he was pronounced dead less than an hour later. The video is horrifying. The complete indifference to the life of a man being snuffed out live is, is just sickening. The cop had his hands in his pockets. The next, four, the next day, four cops were fired, but they were not arrested. There were protests. 
They were mostly peaceful at the beginning. Um, and there was actually remarkable unanimity in the condemnations of the officer from multiple cops and police chiefs. Um, there was uncertainty in the first reports of property damage. The first property damage that was reported actually came from a man that is suspected of being a cop, but there's no definitive proof on that. And the property destruction began to uh, uh, crescendo that night. Target was looted. Some buildings were burned. And among the rioting, there was... Uh, there, there was actually enormous amounts of solidarity. Items taken from Target were set up under tents outside and distributed to people who needed them. Multiple mutual aid groups have come to the assistance of people who may have been inconvenienced by the protests. Um, and all of this is happening while the, these, the police involved in the murder were not arrested. They were just let roam free. Yeah, and, you, and it, you, it makes you question the the honor integrity of a person that is willing to do that to another human being mm -hmm. and not just the honor and integrity of that person but the the other police that stood around and watched it happen there were three other police there yeah and nobody said anything mm -hmm. and, and just allowed this to and and what I what I said earlier in the week on social media is the 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 sickening part of this whole episode is the fact that had it not been recorded right every one of them would have got all, got away with it mm -hmm. and and that that kind of speaks to the whole policing issue in general not saying and you know we continually reiterate and i don't think we should have to but we do because we're dealing with the public and 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 in a lot of cases a lot of people that have this thin blue line mentality but we continue to reiterate the fact that the police are not really accountable to right. to us they're accountable to their their uh hierarchical uh, police chiefs who may be accountable to the uh, mayor of that city, but mm -hmm. there is no accountability in that. And and this whole idea of policing for profit or there being a crime against the state is absolutely sickening to me. Right. I don't think there should be. There is no crime. In other words, growing a marijuana plant in your backyard should not be a crime against the state. Who in their right mind thinks that that is an infringement, that, that growing a plant is an infringement on other people's rights? Right. Well, you know what? The um, uh, Talking about policing for profit, that police took more property from people than burglars did last year. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. in the civil asset forfeiture, it's it's insane, and um, the the uh, uh, it, and and people, you know, they don't like to hear things like the institution of, of the police is, is corrupt. But think about that: that there was one man who was sitting on the neck, and there were three that just let it happen. And then after that, for nearly a week, the entire police department did not arrest him. They would tell you that they were waiting for the warrant. For uh, his arrest, but they, they don't have do to right. have they don't yeah. ha they don't have to have a warrant for somebody's arrest to arrest them. If they wanted to 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 look good in the public eye, they could have just done it. If you if I c c come in somewhere with a gun and shoot somebody, they're not going to wait for a DA to issue a warrant for my arrest. They're going to do it. Yeah, and they they don't. 
When, and, and so every cop in Minneapolis is in some way complicit. complicit They're complicit. Because they this. refused to arrest their brother. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the the entire institution is is it may not be corrupt. Maybe corrupt is a bad term to use, but it there's so much protectionism inside there, and and it all goes back to the same thing. And and it bear it, it's worth asking the question: How many other people have been done this way that wasn't right. caught on video? Because they lied in the police report. Oh, well, well it's new. I mean, because right. consistent every time something like this happens, it's the, it's a cover up. Right. They all get together and cover it up. I, I, I hey. That's I mean, just read the police nature. report. Read the police report. They said he had some kind of medical emergency. Like, yeah, the medical insane. emergency was a knee was on his neck. That was the medical emergency that somebody should have gotten the knee off his neck. And like you said, if nobody had been recording, the police's word would have been taken as gospel. Yeah, nobody would have been fired. Nobody would have been arrested. A man would be dead, and that and that and that would be that. Yeah, that would be that. Um. And so Friday morning, finally, the officer who murdered him was arrested. The three other officers involved have yet to be charged, and protests continue. And now there, there's been a lot of, of consternation over property destruction, and I, I want to make it very clear where I stand. I'm personally uninterested in destroying property. I am not I, – I, I'm – I'm ambivalent, basically, on the effectiveness of it, but taking my cue from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I'm similarly uninterested in condemning those rioting and destroying property. The problem is, though, Jacob, we as we as individuals in this society, as workers, uh, have gone unheard for so long. And like you said earlier, mm -hmm. they continue to tell us to vote for the right person right. and all of this is going to get better. And it does it. And we continue to struggle more and more. We continue to get, even though we may get pay raises, they never keep up with the interest, uh, with the inflation, with the health care costs and everything else. And all these politicians want to do is tell us, well, if you'll vote for us, we will take care of you. But the right. fact of the matter is they won't. The, it, it goes back to the old saying, the riot is the rhyme of the unheard. And at some point, people are going to recognize that, guess what? Uh, this is the only other option I have is to start making hay in the streets. Right. You know, people love to, to quote King when, on his calls for nonviolence. Or to repeat his quote that darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. But like the rest of his legacy, they leave out the more radical elements, like when he said a riot is the language of the unheard. And in place of condemnation of riots, he urged America to listen to what the rioters were saying. Folks love to talk about the Dr. King from the I Have a Dream speech, but they don't want to talk so much about the Dr. King who vehemently condemned militarism in Vietnam. How do you think he would respond to increased militarization of police today? We're going to be talking some more about this after the break. This is the Valley Labor Report. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story. And this is News Talk 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN. The attorneys of Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to stand with organized labor and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report. It is what their firm is built on, and they recognize how important unions are to the country. 
Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are experienced attorneys who can help with your workplace injuries and disability claims. Whether you are a steel worker, coal miner, railroad worker, or machinist, we help all injured workers. Visit www.mtandj.com to find out more. Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs, attorneys for labor, attorneys for you. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. Hometown Action is concerned Alabama's small towns and rural communities increasingly are coming under attack by corporate interests that run local shops out of businesses, shutter our rural hospitals, and pollute our rivers, providing only unstable poverty wage jobs with no health insurance. We know workers and local residents understand the best solution to local problems. Together, we can build the multiracial, working-class power we need to take back our communities. Please join us online at www.hometownaction.org. Thanks for standing with workers supporting Valley Labor Talk. Public schools are critical to the success of communities and democracy. Now more than ever, our educators and school support staff are going above and beyond to support our students and families. We at the Alabama Education Association are proud to represent the hardworking employees of our public schools and colleges. Thank you for all of your love and dedication to Alabama's students. Please take care and stay safe. The Valley Labor Report is also supported by listeners like you. If you value the work that we are doing, injecting a different perspective into talk radio, and you have the means, consider signing up for a monthly donation on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash the Valley Labor Report to support our work and keep us on the air. The attorneys of Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to stand with organized labor and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report. It is what their firm is built on, and they recognize how important unions are to the country. Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are experienced attorneys who can help with your workplace injuries and disability claims. Whether you are a steel worker, coal miner, railroad worker, or machinist, we help all injured workers. Visit www.mtandj.com to find out more. Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs, attorneys for labor, attorneys for you. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. The Jeff Poor Show. He's like Dale Jackson, but nice. Weekdays 2 to 5 p.m. Only on WVNN. Depend on it. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with David Story, my co-host. When we left off, we were talking about Dr. King and the distortion of his legacy. And, you know, so just continuing on that, folks don't want to talk about the Dr. King who condemned the economic system that allowed people to be so poor while some have more than they could ever know what to do with. They don't like to talk about the Dr. King that called for a radical redistribution of economic and political power or the Dr. King who supported reparations and affirmative action. His legacy has been whitewashed. So I am uninterested in property destruction personally. I'm not advocating for it. But I'm also uninterested in the economic plight of a multi-billion dollar company, corporations like Target. They have insurance. They're going to be fine. And 
if you're truly worried about the economic plight of the small businesses who have become collateral damage in the wake of righteous fury of protesters, there are GoFundMes out there that you can contribute to and you can advocate for government assistance. There's no stopping these city governments, these state governments, the federal governments from stepping in and making these small businesses whole. And there, there are. I've seen some. And, and, it's, and it's sad. Um, might I suggest a good place for the funds to come from would be police budgets. However, from the words of one small business owner in Minneapolis, he said, let my building burn. Justice must be served. So if you're sharing memes of Dr. King to condemn the rioters, if you're using the riots to dismiss their anger, you're wrong. You're misrepresenting his legacy, but more importantly, you're missing that sometimes property destruction is the only form of protest left. Like I said earlier, that's exactly what the Boston Tea Party was. It was property destruction. And now people that take on the mantle of the Tea Party think that property rights are sacrosanct. We need to learn our history. That's not violent. It's destructive. It's not violent. And like I said earlier, the only violence that we have actually seen has come from the cops. The protesters, I have not seen an instance of the protesters hurting another human. I have seen them burning buildings, burning police cars, breaking windows. But I've seen cops throwing small women against the concrete, throwing them into seizures, having them go into, into the ER I've seen cops r run by in their police cars with open doors to hit rioters. I have seen cops shoot rubber bullets at, uh, um, at news crews. I've seen cops arrest news crews. But I've not I, – uh, I, so I've seen the cops be violent. I've not seen the protesters be violent. You know, a good question would be who is violent? I mean, who who drew through the first stone, right. you know, and and you you have you and I recognize Dr. King advocated for for peaceful protests, and I think a lot of that was based on you know biblical uh, the New Testament, mm -hmm. but at the same time, violence begets violence, and uh, you know and. When you have a person killed in the streets, right. there is going to be retaliation for that. Of you know, and, and like you said, I I have no I have no problem with the people burning the cop cars. I mean, right. it's at, at some point this overbearing state, and I think both liberals and conservatives can get on the same page and recognize that this state is overbearing. Mm -hmm. And at some point, their their uh, voting is not working. Uh, you know, peaceful protests are not working. This continues to happen. So, what is the? There has to be an escalation, mm -hmm. and and so naturally, this is the next step up. Nobody, yeah. like you said, no. There's been no violence. There's there has not been a police executed in the streets yet. Yeah. So. You know, I don't know where it stops, right? But maybe, maybe the state and the police should take a deep look at themselves before it continues to get worse and get worse, right? 
So, and you know, like, look, you can't argue with the results. The officer is now in jail, and the DA has said this is the fastest that a cop has ever been charged with anything in Minneapolis. And so, you know, I don't know. Maybe after a few more police precincts burn, the rest will be in custody, uh, and we can see some real change. Yeah, you would think you know? so, but you, th you say you can't argue with the results, but you can. Because we continually see the killing of minorities in America over and over and over again. So, yeah, right. you can argue with the results. Yeah, okay, so this one police went to jail, but what happens next month? Right. What happens in, in two months? Because you've had the, the black gentleman in, uh, in Ohio in the Walmart gunned down by the police because, because – Someone made a, a false call to 911 saying that he was pointing the, this BB right. gun at people. Mm -hmm. Gunned down, not even questioned. Yeah. The gentleman that was in the car with his girlfriend and her child gunned down because, oh, he had a cell phone in his hand. Right. It's, it, so, yeah, you can argue with the results. but you, We're not getting the results that we want. Right. And, and you know, the, the next thing that about this that, that I felt is important to talk about, and it's the most chilling thing that has come out of the last week, the threat by the President of the United States yeah. of summary extrajudicial killings of protesters who engage in property damage. The President said, I can't stand back and watch this happen to a great American city. Either the very weak radical left mayor get his act together and bring the city under control or I'll send in the National Guard and get the job done right. These thugs are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd and I won't let that happen. Just spoke to Go Governor Tim Walls and told him that the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty and we will assume control. But when looting starts, the shooting starts. That's, that, that is an important point to make. That's like, when that's a looting fascism. starts... Shooting yeah. starts. So basically what they're saying is, once again, we're going to use violence. Yeah. Let's, let's don't go in and peacefully have a discussion with these people and address their grievances. Let's just start gunning them down. Yeah. When the looting starts, the shooting starts. I mean, it's, it's a sickening statement. I mean, that's, that's a fascism. You know, like, and he tried to walk it back, saying that was meant as a statement of fact, and that the looters will start shooting or whatever. But I mean, no one believes that. Nobody. Everybody knows what he was Everybody saying. knows what he. And, and that phrase, the phrase, literally was used by segregationists in the South as a threat against protesters as well. When the when the looting shoot starts, the shooting starts. There's no way he did not mean that as a threat, and I do not believe a single person. Who says they believe him? They're lying to you. I don't believe it. And so, so this is not just about George Floyd. This is about, this is about Ahmaud Arbery, who was murdered by vigilantes. This is about Breonna Taylor, who was murdered in her sleep by the police. This is about a Huntsville woman a couple days ago who was pulled over for a minor traffic violation, who drove for three miles, that's not a very long time, to find a safe place to stop. And that, just driving for three miles, was enough reason for multiple police officers to come and pull guns on her. I have driven for three miles because that is something that my father told me to do. He said when a police tries to pull you over, never pull over uh, by yourself. Always try to find a well-lit place in a parking lot with multiple witnesses so that you have Never just pull over by yourself. Try, don't try to impede traffic. This is just common things, and it was enough because I, maybe because I mean she was black, 
And, enough, and multiple officers came there. There were three cop cars, and they pulled guns on her. This is in Huntsville, Alabama. Pulled guns. What's the threat? What, it, what is the threat? This is about systemic abuse that goes back to the very foundation of this nation. We've had hundreds of years to make things right, and we haven't. So I'm not going to lose any sleep over the destruction of a police precinct or a target. Instead, I'll see it. I'll hear it. I'll stand in solidarity with them and hope that the people in power finally wake up and see that something must be done. And not just about this situation. I'm talking about fundamental changes. Arresting and prosecuting these four officers will not stop there from being another George Floyd. Arresting and prosecuting these officers will not stop there from being another Breonna Taylor. There have to be massive changes to the institution of police in America. It, it, the, 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 the problems are systemic, and it, and it is. The problem is the love for authority in this in this country. You know this I'm, this whole concept, and it's only happened in the past twenty to thirty years. When I was a kid, it there, it wasn't this this whole thin blue line right. thing and this this entire movement to to it, glorify authority. And that's kind of what we were talking with Chris earlier about. You know, we we recognize authority, but we didn't glorify it. Right. They have their place. But mm -hmm. their place is not on, you know, on on a mantle being mm -hmm. being idolized. Their place right. is right next to us, if not yeah. a little bit and lower, because they are public servants. Yeah, you know, I I see, I understand it's a hard job. I do. It it it's no. not the third most, or the fifth most, or the tenth most, or the fifteenth most. I, I looked this up last week. It is the sixteenth most difficult job in America, and. The 15 jobs that are more dangerous than them, Industrial when they get in jobs. trouble, they don't get to shoot people because they have problems. They don't get to uh, uh, kill people because they're afraid. Yeah. And, and, you know, these problems are systemic. They close ranks. They don't allow oversight. They drudge up old crimes of their victims to tar their reputation in the public conscience, the, the no angel narrative. And, uh, you know, the the cops didn't – what. Uh, they, they had the authority to arrest this person, and they didn't. Instead, they set up an army outside of his home to protect him. The, uh, last year, like I said, cops stole more from people than burglars did with the civil asset forfeiture. It must be, the, the, the institution has to be radically transformed because a system that allows this amount of injustice, is, it, it just can't be allowed to continue as it is. They, they are in these protests showing contempt for citizens and contempt for the free press arresting identified journalists, shooting rubber bullets at them. I found myself constantly, constantly, while all this is happening, while they were being violent to protesters, violent to news crews, I constantly was thinking to myself, where are the good cops? You know, I was, where I are was, they? I was watching Unicorn Riot last night, a big shout out to those guys for, for covering these uh, protests like they should be covered. And one of the, he, they interviewed one of the gentlemen that, the police were firing tear gas at them. Mm -hmm. And so the gentleman had a five gallon bucket of water. And as the tear gas would hit the ground, he was grabbing it and throwing it into the water to, you know, to, to, to put out the tear gas. So as soon as the tear gas got shot, he grabs it, throws it into the water. They, the, the, the number of shots was unknown, but they, he said he had went to the hospital and they said they had identified about seven uh, places where he got shot with rubber bullets, you know. So it's like, eh, eh, where you want to know where the violence is? The violence is coming from the state. Yeah.
They've got to be demilitarized. They need more oversight. They need their guns taken away. There need to be less of them. Next week, we're going to be talking to Alex Vital and his book, the end, about his book, The End of Policing, about some of the solutions to this. But this is the Valley Labor Report. we got one more segment. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The attorneys of Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to stand with organized labor and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report. It is what their firm is built on, and they recognize how important unions are to the country. Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are experienced attorneys who can help with your workplace injuries and disability claims. Whether you are a steel worker, coal miner, railroad worker, or machinist, we help all injured workers. Visit www.mtandj.com to find out more. Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs, attorneys for labor, attorneys for you. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. The Valley Labor Report is also supported by listeners like you. If you value the work that we are doing, injecting a different perspective into talk radio, and you have the means, consider signing up for a monthly donation on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash the Valley Labor Report to support our work and keep us on the air. Hometown Action is pleased to support the launch of the Valley Labor Report because they know that myself and David support their values. They're a power-building collective of small-town, rural, and working-class Alabamians fighting to build inclusive and sustainable communities where all residents can thrive. They invite you to find out more about them online by visiting their website, www.hometownaction.org, and on social media. Please join them in advocating for a stronger labor movement in Alabama. The American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE Local 1858, believes all workers are entitled to fairness, dignity, and respect. AFGE also knows that the best way to guarantee proper treatment is for workers to stand together, united, looking out for each other. In AFGE, we fight for workers every day to ensure a workplace that is safe and free from harassment. If you're a federal employee and want to be a part of this union to protect yourself and your fellow workers, call 256-876-4880. The attorneys of Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to stand with organized labor and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report. It is what their firm is built on, and they recognize how important unions are to the country. Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are experienced attorneys who can help with your workplace injuries and disability claims. Whether you are a steel worker, coal miner, railroad worker, or machinist, we help all injured workers. Visit www.mtandj.com to find out more. Maple, Tucker, and Jacobs, attorneys for labor, attorneys for you. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host David Story. We've spent the uh, we've spent the show talking about mostly talking about uh, these protests, and and so we're going to wrap up talking about them and, and talking about protests in general. But we um, spent more time than what we originally yeah. <laughs> intended to do. If we're being completely honest, with right, you about right. It. But uh, you know, j- just kind of wrap up my thoughts there. Uh, about these protests and, and, and the, 
the police in general, you know, we've, we've really got to look at, at, at some systemic fundamental changes to the institution. They need to be demilitarized. They need more oversight. They need their guns taken away. There need to be less of them. They need to have less jurisdiction. They, we can't tell the police to solve every problem in society. That's not what it, they – they just can't do it. They need their budget slashed. They, the power of police unions have to be countermanded. The AFL-CIO needs to disaffiliate from law enforcement unions and, and more. And like I said, we're going to be talking more about the solutions next week with Alex Vital. He's the author of The End of Policing. He's been studying the police and criminology for his whole career. He's a professor at um, the University of New York in Brooklyn. Uh, so, you know, I think that'll be a really hip, helpful interview for, for both of us and for the audience because – but you know, David and I have really have have strong feelings uh, about this, and and we do have, you know, we David especially has some experience with the police and, and what what they actually do. But but we've not been studying this for our entire. That's not the the focus of our of of our careers, so to speak. And so I think it'll it'll really help us. It'll help the audience think about some things in a different way. In the meantime, justice for George Floyd. Justice for Ahmaud Arbery, justice for Breonna Taylor, Black Lives Matter, and uncritical and unwavering support and solidarity for the people on the streets that are protesting for, for real change. Yeah, solid. Yeah, but more 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 important than anything right now, solidarity with all the people on the streets because there's beauty in the streets. You know, and we, we when we when we put this. The show notes together, we had no intention of spending this amount of time on it, but it's... I mean, it's important. It, it, is, it is important. important. I think it's something that needs to be addressed, not just, you know, we need to recognize what's happening in the minority communities in America, and, you know, and sp specifically one minority community that's been here for hundreds of years mm -hmm. building this nation, the black community. Well, and, you know, it, it is important to say it's not just the minority communities that are affected by police brutality in the police state and and state violence i mean uh, poor whites feel it yeah. Uh, yeah. too it's you know it's not just black folks that that are that are, that are the victims of this it's it's uh, you know, it's working class uh, people. Yeah, uh, it's working class people. Upper middle class white folks generally n not not too much but but you know, if you're homeless and white like you You've had run-ins with the police. Yeah. If if you're a white working class person with dreadlocks, I worked with a person in a restaurant, um, and he, he was he was a respectable looking uh, white guy, you know, when I knew him. But at one point, uh, he had dreadlocks, and he said that while he had dreadlocks, every time the police pulled him over, he had to wait for hours for them to bring the canine unit uh, for to yeah. search his car for drugs every single time. Yeah, when he had dreadlocks. That's you know, and that's, that's one insane. of those things that we talked about. You know, uh, the the state had you know a a, a problem with the state. You know, mm -hmm. the, the and and it and truthfully, it all begins in the legislature. The legislature continually writing all of these laws, and we talk about the nanny state. And I know, especially conservatives, love to talk about the nanny state. Uh, because they want to pick, you know, to portray it as it's all liberal. But the fact of the matter is, the nanny state is driven by the conservatives as well on the Sunday alcohol sales or mm -hmm. drug uh, violations and things. Right. They just pick and choose their own nanny state that they prefer to. Yeah, maybe daddy state would yeah, be the better, to, <laughs> the better word endorse. for that. But but yeah, and you, you know the the 
the historical roots of the police in this country and in other countries were, were not to fight crime. And, and even today they do a, a really not a great job of it. Most no, reactionary. Theft, yeah. Most theft goes unsolved. Um, and most theft goes even uninvestigated in fact. Um, and, and the, the roots of the police are in slave patrols are in strike breaking Pinkertons, uh, who murdered workers that were on strike. Yep. Um, yep. You, you well, know, uh, even you, you were talking about earlier in the week on means TV, the fact that, uh, the union time with the Smithfield mm-hmm. in yeah. Smithfield company in North Carolina, they actually, they were approved and we have a church in Birmingham that's been approved by our legislature now to have their own state endorsed police department inside and smithfield was the same way 26 police that they had in smithfield privately employed by smithfield farms that had the power to arrest workers it is it is overwhelmingly oppressive on the on the working class people in the same way you know we were talking about during the break with all of my brothers and sisters that were on strike two years ago the company actually hired Morgan County sheriffs to come out there and watch us for 24 hours a day. They paid for out of our labor, Morgan County sheriffs to come out there and they constantly harassed us Mm -hmm. on the picket line, pulling up there, flashing their lights, threatening to take us to jail. And And the one thing that pissed me off more than anything else throughout that whole time was we were never violent. But we had a car. No, we never destroyed anything. We we cleaned up after ourselves. Right. We were out there sweeping, picking up the bottles, doing uh, improving, improving the front. (laughs) Believe it or not, because we didn't want to portray it as a in a bad light. But the fact of the matter is, when one of the guys that was and and I get it, he was a scab. He was crossing mm-hmm. the picket line. He was scared because we were out there yelling at him. Hey, mm-hmm. let's let's build some solidarity here. He come through the picket line at roughly 20 to 30 miles an hour and missed mm-hmm. one of my brothers from down south by less than a foot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it mm-hmm. would have completely demolished him, and the police did nothing. Yeah. They sat there and did nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and well uh- – Another more contemporary example, I mean, two years ago is is really contemporary, but just a few months ago, we saw a wildcat strike at the University of California, Santa Cruz, uh, for graduate uh, graduate student workers who were um, striking for uh, for a cost of living increase, and the university said they didn't have enough money in the budget for that, but they had enough money to pay uh, California cops a quarter million dollars a day for weeks to sit on the picket line, harass the students and uh, a quarter million dollars a day. And they don't have, but they didn't have the money in the budget to pay these graduate student researchers a living wage, but they had enough money for a quarter million dollars a day for cops. Yeah. Hey, we appreciate you listening to us this week. I I hope, I hope it wasn't, you know, too dull with all of the protests, but. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for listening, folks. If you want to keep up with us throughout the week, follow us online, facebook.com slash Valley Labor Report, YouTube at The Valley Labor Report, Twitter at Labor Reporters. If you appreciate our work, donate to us, patreon.com slash The Valley Labor Report. See you next week.